0: Good morning. morning. I'm going to start today by asking you a question. And this this is a question that may be like kind of admitting, confessing uh, up front. But I wonder how many of you would join me in saying that when you watch television, it is an interactive experience. If you watch television and it's an interactive experience, um, I do too. I'm admitting it, I do too. I don't watch much TV, I'm not a big TV watcher, but when I do, it's because I care about something. And so if I care about it, I feel like it's really important for me to express my feelings to the television set (laughs) as a kind of means of interaction. For example, some of you might be interactive television viewers in this season that we're moving into college football season. I definitely am, right? I can be watching a game from a 1,000 miles away, but the players, the coaches, and the referees all need to hear my thoughts as the game goes on, right? My kids are the kids that look at me and they're like, Daddy, you know they can't hear you. I'm like, well, with God, all things are possible. And so you never know what might happen, because if they run a draw play on third and eight one more time for two yards up the middle, I'm gonna go crazy. So you never know. Right, it's an interactive experience. Some of you might be interactive television viewers like around reality TV, right? You might have a favorite show and then a decision made, it's like, how could you choose him? Or how could you choose her? Or like wonderful to, you know, or you get emotional. It's an interactive kind of thing. Far and away for me of all realms of television watching though, what is the most interactive for me is watching Christian television. Watching Christian TV is completely an interactive experience for me. Watching a televangelist, watching a worship service that, that's on TV, because I care about it and because I'm a dork, I will watch it and just completely start yelling at the television cell, either saying like things are good or being like, how could you do that? Watching Christian TV is the only time that Beth has had to walk into a room and turn the television off literally like a parent going, that's enough of that now. We've had enough, TV." I'm like, yeah, but do you know what they said about Philippians 2? Can you believe it? And she's like, I know, it's a tragedy. How is the earth going to continue to revolve around the sun? Let's just turn it off for a little while and everyone calm down. You're like, okay, you know, all right. Recently, I was watching uh, a Christian TV with a certain preacher who I <laughs> love to interact with while he's talking. And what that means is, is like you kind of sit down and you got like your popcorn and snack and a drink and you know, it's just like, you know, cause that's what you do. <laughs> and in the lead up to the pastor starting they gave a little intro to the show and it was this very dramatic thing and usually I'm like oh here comes the cheese and you know all this kind of stuff and it was this blank screen right and then what happened is this music came up and it was very dramatic and there were drums like ding 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 ding." you're like oh and then it like without saying anything words came up on the screen and it's like Jesus Christ is unique and I'm like, oh, that's a deep point. Here we go, like kind of getting in. And then the words just went off the screen. It's like, dung, dung, ding, ding, ding. And it's like, he is Messiah and Lord. And it goes off the screen and dung, ding, 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 ding. And then it goes, he is the revolution. And I stopped for a second and was like, huh. I, I've never thought about that word being associated with Jesus. He is the revolution. And the entire show that was coming up humbled me and convicted me because it was about how we as Christians have started treating the message of Jesus as ordinary. I'm a member of a church, I'm a member of a country club, I'm a member of a swim team, and I'm a member of the PTA, and this is just what makes up my daily, weekly life and my daily, weekly rhythms. And the sense of the show was saying, this is a revolution, it's a revolution in how we live, it's a revolution in creation, and somehow we as the church have domesticated this to the point that it's just about checking a box of, did I go to church today? Am I part of a Bible study? That's kind of it, right, checking the box. Today, we're wrapping up our summer teaching series, Stories of God, and we're going to be talking from Hebrews chapter 10 about this revolution, what Paul describes as this revolution that we're a part of, and we want to bring together this series that we've been journeying through before next Sunday when we start into our fall teaching series, and so this is the scripture passage we will be ending with today, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this day that you would speak to us all because we need to hear you. Lead us and guide us, transform us, Through the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, as we talk about this revolution, and as Paul sums it up for us today, we see that there's kind of two parts that he pulls out in the end that are revolutionary as followers of Jesus that we need to point to and to be clear about. The first is in the first four verses, 19 through 23. Paul says and talks about the uniqueness of Jesus and the uniqueness of Jesus and his gospel and what that does for us and our spiritual relationship with God. That's the first part that he talks about this revolution of, of, of what it means for our spiritual life and our relationship with God. And secondly, in verses 24 and 25, he says that this revolution is not just about you and God, but it also is about how we live in community together, how Bonhoeffer says we do life together together as a church, what it means to be the church. So we want to talk about these two parts of this revolution and ask ourselves, how much have we just made this ordinary and typical and usual in our life versus embracing the revolution that is following Jesus? First is our relationship with him. And secondly, is in community. Well, what Paul says in this first part, in verses 19 through 23, is that part of the revolution that we need to understand is that following Jesus is completely and wholly unique in this world. That in Paul's time, as in ours, there was a variety of philosophies and spiritualities and religious paths. And Paul is saying, make no mistake about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is wholly and utterly unique in the cacophony of spirituality that is out there. Because what is unique, he says here, is that we become people through faith who stand with confidence, he says, with bold confidence, not because we've learned the religious rules and become better people. That's what religions teach and spirituality teaches is how we change and become better rule followers and more righteous in the eyes of God or in the eyes of some sort of spiritual entity. But Paul is saying what is wholly unique about the revolution of Jesus is that we stand with confidence because God's grace has overpowered all that takes place in creation. That there is no way we can add to or subtract in our life through our actions how God sees us. That as Paul writes about in Galatians, as John talked about last week, that when God looks at us, the uniqueness of Christianity is that when God looks at you and I, he sees the righteousness of his own son. That no matter who you are or what you've done, good or bad this week, when God looks at you this morning in faith, he sees the righteousness of Jesus that is credited to you. And there is nothing good that you can do to add to how God sees you. And there's nothing bad that you can do to make God see you as anything less. You're not that powerful. That through faith, when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of his beloved son. And yet what we do and what we've seen in this series, the stories of God, is that we take this beautiful message, this beautiful gospel, this good news. And over and over and over again, what human beings do is they reduce it down to something small and distorted that usually serves their own interest. What we've asked you to do in this series is that as we've journeyed through scripture, we didn't want you to see like all the different random scripture passages. But as we move from the Old Testament and the New Testament, we asked you to look for threads. Threads that run, that link these stories together. And this uniqueness of Jesus encapsulates this thread that we've been asking you to look at this summer. And the thread is this. This is what it is. That God gives this beautiful plan to creation as to how it's supposed to work. And that human beings reduce it and change it into something small for their own self-interest, but that God is faithful to them anyway. Think about it. We saw this in week two when you saw that the Hebrews, as they were freed from slavery in Egypt, journeyed north to Mount Sinai, and they received the Ten Commandments in the beginning of the Torah as God's covenant people. And then they journeyed north again, as you remember, to the Jordan River. And across the Jordan River was the, the, the promised land. God says, a land flowing with milk and honey. And God says, it's time to go into the promised land. And they're like, I don't know. And he's like, no, 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 go into the promised land. I'm telling you, cross the river, go into the promised land. They're like, kind of seems different over there. Maybe we should elect a committee to study it for a little while. We're gonna have a task force that's gonna study it for a little while and then they're gonna come back with recommendations then the committee's gonna take that recommendation and vote on it and then it's gonna be passed on to Session and Session will make a decision as to what we're supposed to do. And God's going, just go! Just cross the river, go into the promise and like, well, we'd rather have a committee. So they have a committee of spies that go into the promised land and they look at it and they come back and report to the committee the reports to session, the reports to people and says, yes, the land is wonderful, it's beautiful, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there are other people, other tribes, other nations over there and we don't know if they want new neighbors. And they may not like us moving in and they're tough and they're big. They're almost giants and we don't know what they're going to do. And God's going, just go. I'm telling you to go. I know that they're over there. It's not a surprise to me. Just walk over the river, go. And they're like, I don't think so. We're going to reduce this to something that is smaller, that serves what we see as our own, our own interests right now. We're going to go choose to go in this direction and just wander. We're going to take out the wilderness, see what that's like for a while. So they disobey God and they go into the wilderness. But the thread says that God is still faithful to them. That God doesn't sit there and go, fine, go your own way. And when you're done with your own path, I'll be waiting here so you can know that you're wrong. But that God journeys with these people, even though they've reduced his plan to something smaller than he intended. He shows up and leads them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He gives them manna every morning to have bread when they wake up so they won't starve. He gives them water from the midst of rocks in the desert so that they can have something to drink. And God journeys with them year after year after year, providing for them until they return and they cross the river into the promised land. They take the gospel and reduce it to something small that they think serves their own interests. And yet God is faithful to them, despite who they are and their decisions. We saw it again the following week, right? The following week, we saw them in the promised land and they start going, well, things are going well and God was in the tent of meeting, meeting with them, helping them to work out what it meant to be as people. They started to thrive as a nation, but then they looked at the other tribes, remember, and the other kingdoms and they're like, you know, they have kings and queens, we would like to look more powerful and have kings and queens like that. And God's going, no, 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 no. This is working really well, the tent of meeting and we're talking and we're working things out and, 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 and you guys are thriving and you're doing well. It's like, yeah, we hear that. And it's cool that they don't have a tent of meeting and we all do, but we would rather look like them. We would rather have kings and queens. And so they move in that direction. And does God again wash his hands of them and say, oh, you're choosing a human ruler over interacting with me. I have this great plan for you. You're choosing this small thing. Fine, have it your way. No, God actually anoints the opening kings of Israel, anoints Saul, anoints David after that, anoints Solomon after that. And the kingdom of Israel thrives under these leaders even though they embody choosing something other than God. God is faithful to them. That thread runs throughout. Or we saw in the New Testament as we move there where the poor and the uneducated begin following Jesus And all of a sudden the religious elite start hearing about it and the people with the degrees who know better. And the people are going, we think this guy's the Messiah. And they're like, no, he's not. No, no, no. We have degrees. We have multiple degrees that show that we're experts on how this works. We know how it's supposed to work. If it's someone like him over there from that side of the tracks with no education and no formal standing, then that upsets the entire system that's here. And we have a system that, that needs to exist. And so we'll handle how this works best. And in the end, they wind up killing him. Because of the threat that he represents, does God abandon the people at that moment? No, in fact, through the cross, he is faithful and welcomes all people to come and to follow Jesus. The arms of God go wider and wider and wider through the cross, even though the cross represents us once again distorting God's plan into something small. This is the thread that's run throughout. We reduce this to something small and perverted and and warped. And yet God is faithful always. That's why Paul's saying you should stand with confidence, not because you figured it out, but because God is faithful. And friends, doesn't that story and that thread still describe us today? I mean, that thread didn't stop when the Bible stopped, of people taking the goodness of God and reducing it to something small and warped and self-centered that they think protects their own interests. That's what human beings so often do. I had an illustration I was going to share with you guys today, and it was a really funny story, that actually I think did a good job of illustrating how this is alive today. Unfortunately, over the last two days we have seen a tragic and much more painful illustration of human beings continuing in the story by the events in Charlottesville, Virginia. We saw on Friday night as white nationalists carrying torches at night moved through the streets of Charlottesville crying out against Jews and African-Americans and minorities We saw as they rallied again the next day, yesterday on Saturday, and as protesters and counter-protesters clashed, we saw with tragic consequences the hate that is alive in this world and in our nation still today. And in the midst of that, we have to ask ourselves what is our response? There is an inevitable tension, isn't there, in any church and for any pastor of proclaiming the good news in politics. It's a tension that there's different ways of dealing with. There are some churches and some pastors that talk of little other than politics. And each week, a sermon is just a political commentary on whatever is taking place in the world that day, and usually given from a very specific viewpoint. And while that might sometimes have credibility in my own mind, that becomes unimaginative and small over time. And what it usually means when you're just posting that stuff on Facebook over and over again is people stop listening to you because it's no longer prophetic when you're predictable. On the other hand, you have folks on the other side that say there's no intersection between church and politics. Church should be free of all of that. And yet, that seems to miss the point that Jesus was killed because the kingdom he was describing had political implications that threatened both the Jewish and Roman power structures. There are political implications to being a follower of Jesus. And so there's a question always of where you sit in that tension. And the way I have tried over the three and a half years that I've been here at Covenant is that I have tried to not avoid politics, but to avoid talking about what's happening in the world today from a partisan perspective. Our nation is so divided right now and there is so much bitterness and so much of it is between these lines from partisan positions. And my own viewpoint of what is taking place in our nation today is that while we have partisan positions, when I think about and read about the kingdom of God, I think the kingdom of God challenges every political party that exists in our nation today. I don't think any of them have a cornerstone. So to talk from a partisan perspective I think lacks the humility of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. And so I have tried to avoid taking a partisan perspective because I think that's actually too small of a message for covenant and for the beauty that is covenant and the uniqueness that is covenant. But friends, what's happened in Charlottesville in the last two days is neither partisan nor is it political. It is evil. It is evil that is being paraded with a cross. I saw an interview with one of the white nationalists yesterday who was asked in the midst of the violence that was going on in Charlottesville, what are you fighting for? And he said, it's clear what we're fighting for. And this isn't just one person speaking. This is a common perspective of this vile movement that is receiving more and more press and attention than it has in many years. He said, we are fighting for white Christian values to once again reign in a white Christian nation. We are fighting for white Christian values to once again reign in a white Christian nation. We have no integrity if we don't respond to that. And of the many responses that come to mind for me and probably for many of you, for our purposes this morning, is this any different than what we have seen throughout this series? of people taking the grandeur of God's call and God's kingdom and God's vision and manipulating it and reducing it to its most vile and self-centered and self-promoting of ideas because that is all that you can understand when someone talks about white Christian values in a white Christian America. You have to ignore by any semblance of believing in that the vast majority of of scripture and reduce it down to something vile. You have to ignore for example the book of Galatians which says that in Jesus Christ there is no longer Jew nor Gentile. That that line of distinction that had separated people based on their ethnicity for thousands of years had been obliterated in Jesus because in his name we stand as one people. You have to ignore, for example, the book of Philippians, much less the book of Romans that says that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess, not just those who have the right skin color. You have to ignore the book of Revelation, which in a Presbyterian church, some of us might be more comfortable doing. (laughs) That describes heaven as the place That's not gonna be us floating around on clouds, playing golf or fishing or whatever it is that we like to do with our days. But the revelation says that heaven and eternity is going to be found in a city, the new Jerusalem that will descend. And as it descends and the gates of the city are open, it says that people and the faithful will gather from every corner of the world into that city and that we will encircle the throne where the lamb sits who was slain for all of our sake. And as we stand together, we will see people of every tribe and every tongue who are gathered there together as equal brothers and sisters worshiping God. And if you wanna be someone who talks about a white Christian values operating in white Christian America, then you also have to ignore the all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who agree on a great amount of information, and included in what all four Gospels agree on, is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, was raised in Galilee, was of Middle Eastern descent, and therefore was neither white nor American. And we have to have our voice heard not out of a sense of political correctness and not out of some warm fuzzy idea of tolerance and inclusivity and diversity, which really doesn't forward any agenda very far in real life. We have to do so because as followers of Jesus, we must be committed to biblical truth and biblical orthodoxy and biblical orthodoxy does not allow us to ignore the vast majority of the canon and to allow it to be captured by a few people quoting a few verses who have manipulated everything and letting them stand in the public eye. We have to declare with an unequivocal voice that any position on faith that says that any race or any ethnic group is more of an image bearer of God than any other is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is no other way of seeing it. We must have our voices heard because people are listening. And so we stand, not ashamed, not discouraged this morning. We stand, as Paul writes here in Hebrews 10, with confidence this morning, with bold confidence. Because of what Paul promises us that the God who was writing his story in all of our lives and writing his story through the scriptures is still writing his story today. He will remain faithful to all of us. God's story hasn't been stopped. It's still being written in Charlottesville, Virginia today. God's story is still being written in Austin, Texas and Atlanta, Georgia and Seattle, Washington and Washington, D.C. and New York City and every city and every town in this great nation of ours as well as in this world. God's story is still being written. And so we stand with bold confidence. That's the revolution in the midst of everything we face. Because not that human society is gonna figure it out, but because God will be faithful to us as we bumble our way through it. And we use him as our light and our rock and our one who guides us and gives us direction. And then Paul says, he ends by saying, and so we participate in this. We don't just stand with confidence, but he says we participate in living in community and following. He says in verse 24, in this beautiful description of church, he says, be a community, not that stays on its own and refuses to gather, but gather together and to provoke one another to acts of love and to good deeds. What a beautiful description of church, a community where we provoke one another to acts of love and to good deeds. You see how much more beautiful that is than checking a box? Well, we've got to go to church today. No! It's not about going to church. It's not about checking a box. It's about demanding each other that we are a part of a community that's provoking each other to acts of love and to good deeds. And I would submit to you today that what Charlottesville, Virginia, and Austin, Texas, and this country and this world need more than anything else is an army of people going forward who are sure in their hearts that they are loved and forgiven by the grace of God and then committed to walking together and provoking one another to acts of love and good deeds. So may we be that people this day. May we participate in the story God is writing. And in the coming weeks, friends, you will have a chance to get involved You will have a chance to join into a small group. You have a chance to join into a Bible study. You have a chance to take the ideas of telling people what they should do and translating into action by volunteering with one of our mission partners here in Austin or in Cuba or in Zambia or in some place around the world of taking those sentiments and provoking one another to act. There will be on-ramps that we will be talking about deeper into the life of this kind of community in the weeks to come. And the question is whether we'd rather talk about it and post something on Facebook about it or get involved and do something. And sometimes we have to make that choice. I am ready to step forward in being a part of the story that God is writing in this nation and in this world today. Are you ready to step with me? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that you would allow us to be boldly confident because of your faithfulness to us. Allow us to face this day with hope and with confidence because you will be faithful to all of us as a people and spur us on, provoke us to acts of love and to good deeds as we continue to be used by you to write your story in this creation that you love so much. We pray for this and trust in this in Jesus' name. Amen.